we are going to take our Bibles and we are going to head over to, uh, we're going to start in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy chapter 16. And then we will find our way over to the New Testament in just a few moments. As I mentioned before, the children will be coming back in for communion, uh, and they'll be back in about a half an hour. So we'll see if I can get through all, all 60 slides in 30 minutes, but probably not, but we'll give it a try. Uh, when we talk about special days, there are a lot of special days, and there are those days in our, uh, in our calendar years that, that we know as special uh, for example, we know Memorial Day. We understand what it is to commemorate, to remember those who have died for our freedom. Uh, we remember on Veterans Day, it's those who are alive and have served in the military. And we mem- remember them and we uh, have those moments where we, we recognize those who have done that for us. There's special days that, that we remember. Even uh, if I say September 11th or 9-11, we remember what those days, what it's about. And we often even use the phrase, you know, that we never forget or that I'll not forget. And we, we associate it with the, the 9-11, even December 7th, you know, the day that we'll live in infamy. And we look at, uh, we look at that day of Pearl Harbor Day and we, we remember and we have those times, those, those moments in our calendar when we remember. There are, there are a lot of special days, but what's happening, it's interesting to me, have you found on the, as you watch on the internet, there, uh, there are a lot of special days. Now there's like a special day for everything. Do you know what today? Today is a very special day. It is. It is National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. <laughs> I know. It's, I, I, actually, I don't like ice cream sandwiches, I think, they're, but that's me. Uh, but it's National Ice Cream Sandwich Day. So I started looking. I'm like, special days in my life. So January 21st, it's Sharon's birthday. But really, it's actually Squirrel Appreciation Day. <laughs> so I was like, all right, we're good. There, there's just, you can go through, and it's, there's something for every single day. You know, March 3rd, or March 14th, Pi Day. For those of you math geeks out there, you love that day. It's 314, it's 3.14, whatever, and that's all I ever know, and that's all I have to know for Pi. Uh, you've got it. Did you know that December 25th isn't Christmas? It's actually Alphabet Day. There's no L's. I know, it's like, really? Like, but you're supposed to write all your communications on that day not using the letter L. We've cheapened, we've cheapened some really good holidays with some really stupid uh, special days. But I think that that can happen to us in our lives. When we look, I, I like this one. I was really hoping today would be National Talk Like a Pirate Day. September 19th is. Because in, in the, the lesson, I have like four R's about communion. But, you know, that was for you, Dylan. Give me a nice groaner dad joke right there. You know, but uh, I think we've become so trivial sometimes with special days that we tend to lose the significance of certain things. And when we come to a special day, when we celebrate communion together, it is a glorious day. It is a wonderful special day that our Savior has set aside to say, do this and do it for a specific reason. And we can't forget why we are coming to this table, why we are taking the time. We don't just do it because we have to fulfill a ritual. We don't just do this because it just sort of has to happen. This is a special, thank you. You got my text. I texted in church. I'll let it be known. I texted, but thank you very much. And so as we come to communion, 
and we look today, we come to this table. Communion is a special day. In fact, we're going to end up in Luke 22, and we'll end up in 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 is the passage we often go to to read about communion during the, during the service. But what is the backstory? Everyone has a backstory. We love backstories. We like movies that have backstories, and that seems to be one of those, those special things. But what is the backstory to communion? What is, what is it about? What is its purpose? What's driving? And even, is there, is there a heritage? Is there a, a lineage to pass or, or to, uh, to communion that helps us to understand a little bit more? And there is. When we look at communion's backstory, we have to go all the way back into the Old Testament and look at the Passover and look at what happened during that time. Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verses 1, 1 through 3, it talks about that there is a time when they are to observe this Passover celebration in the month of Abib. Keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord thy God brought forth out of Egypt by night. Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord thy God of the flock of the herd in the place which the Lord chose uh, to choose to place his name there. You shall eat no unleavened bread with it. Seven days you shall not eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For you came forth out of the land of Egypt with haste, that thou mayest remember the day when you came forth out of the land, uh, out of the land of Egypt all the days of thy life. And so uh, Moses here, under the inspiration through God, is saying, this is the day we're going to celebrate the, the time when God brought us out of the land of Egypt, when the Passover lamb was, was sacrificed. And he says, this is going to do it. What's interesting is when you read the, the, the Passover section here, it talks about keeping the Passover. There's going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be this unleavened bread. And then even at the end, it says that you may remember the day. When we fast forward into Luke, and let's jump over to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, you start getting some of that same verbiage, that same idea when you start to hear what the what what Christ is talking about he's talking about doing things in remembrance he's talking about there's going to be a sacrifice he's talking about that there is going to be something that you are to keep and to maintain and so that happens when we get to Luke 22 uh, verses 7 uh, 19 you see it on the on the screen there but also hopefully in your Bible if I can ever get there it comes after Mark right now all right there we go Luke 22 and verse number seven, it talks about that the day came of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. So you're tying back into Christ is coming in and the disciples, and they're going to be celebrating this Passover feast that they were commanded to as Jews. And they have this, the killing of the lamb. They have that they're going to take the bread in verse 19, and Christ is going to give thanks, this unleavened bread, and they're going to give it to them. And he's going to say, this is my body, why? Given, in re given for you in remembrance of me. Some very similar terminology. And so as we enter into communion, as we start talking about this opportunity that we have, there is a purpose. Just like there was a purpose for Passover for the Jews to remember what had happened, how God had provided this lamb. The same is true as we come to this table that we remember that God has provided a lamb, that God has provided that sacrificial lamb that we so desperately needed. So communion's backstory, we see it there. It's important to remember, though, that there is the event of Passover, there is the feast of Passover. Some of you went through our foundations uh, material a few months, about six or seven, eight months back. Now, we, we covered a little bit of this, that there is the, uh, the event of Passover. That is that night 
when the, uh, the death angel comes in, that last plague, and there is going to be the Passover. The feast of Passover celebrates the event of Passover. It remembers that time. So when we look at the event of Passover, remember, remember just a few things about Passover. The event of Passover, it occurred in Egypt as a one-time event. It was once for all. It was not multiple times. The feast occurs multiple times, but it points back to a once and for all event that took place. The, the event of Passover, it took place for those individuals to escape the impending wrath that they were going to face on all the firstborn. Verse, uh, verse 12 back in Exodus. It, it looks and it says, this is what the purpose was. Even as we come to communion, we get that opportunity to remind ourselves that through Christ, we have escaped an impending, impending wrath upon our lives. That I deserved the wrath of God poured out upon my life. But through Jesus Christ, the sacrificial lamb, the blood that was shed, it provides for me that escape, that salvation that I needed. So during this time, the sacrifice was to be made. The blood was of the sacrifice was to be applied upon the lentils of the doorpost. So it wasn't just we did, but there was an application that, that had to occur. That blood was a substitution. It was a covering, an atonement for the trespasses of those in that house. It covered them so that when the, the angels saw the blood, what does it say that he did? He would pass over them. And so we get that term, that idea of Passover. The same is true. I deserve that wrath. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ cleansing me and covering me, I do not face that wrath because God sees Christ's righteousness over my sins. He sees his robes over my unrighteousness. And so we have this event, and that's where the Feast of Passover then remembers, it commemorates the event when we talk about this Passover lamb, when we see who it is in, in the Bible, Christ is this new Passover lamb. He is the one who, for us, he provides salvation for those of us who are sinners, which is all of us. But for those of us who believe on Jesus Christ, he provides that atonement, that covering, that substitution. All of those Old Testament sacrifices were pointing forward. They were foreshadowing to the one who was sufficient, the one who was able to cover our sins. Remember, Hebrews talks about that the blood of bulls and goats, they, they can't provide it. We needed someone like us. We needed a human for a human sacrifice. Remember, John says, behold, as he sees Christ coming, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, he says, and we see in Exodus 12, that the lamb is to be without blemish. It is to be a male of the first year, and you're to take the sheep uh, from the goats. And First Peter reminds us that Christ, what is he? He is a lamb without blemish. He is a lamb without spot. He lived that holy and perfect life, the life that we could not live. He provided that perfect substitutionary sacrifice for us. The offering, the Passover offering, the lamb was to be killed. We know that as we look, it says at the end of Exodus 12, that you're going to take the lamb and you're going to kill it at twilight. And we know in John 12, he says, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, picturing what's going to happen with Christ. And we, then we know all the other passages with Christ, well, don't we? Where he dies on the cross for our sins. And unless that death happens, there can't be the fruit that comes forward. 
And Christ died as our first fruits. He died as the one who is the, paving the way, providing the way for you and I to be able to enter in to heaven. That sacrificial lamb of Passover that Christ is, the, lamb was to, the blood of the lamb was to be applied. We know that they put it on the lentil. But Hebrews 9 says, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is what? There's no remission, no remission of sin. We needed the blood of Jesus Christ, his death, to be applied to our lives. As we asked him, those of you who have asked and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to our account. My charge count was full with sin. And it is through Jesus Christ's blood that it has been paid in full. And without that, there would have been no forgiveness. So we we come remembering Luke 22, verse 19. Look what it says there. And he takes the bread. This is Jesus Christ now as they go through. And he gave thanks. And what does he say? He break it. He gave it to them. And he says, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. We need to understand that when he, it is given for us, his body is given for you. It's not simply that he died, but we needed not only the the death of him, but we needed somebody who was perfect. We needed somebody that was for us, that was an equal. We needed somebody that could be a one-for-one substitute. We needed a human for a human. It had to be a human life, Not not a goat's life, not a ram's life, not a bull's life. It had to be a human life. And Christ living that perfect and holy life dies on the cross for us so that we can have this perfect and equal sacrifice to take our place. He was given for us. Hebrews 10 reminds us of that, that we're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? Once. One time, Christ dies on the cross. Just like the event of Passover happened once, the feast of Passover happens multiple times. When we come to communion here, this is not Christ dying again. When we take those elements, it doesn't become the body and blood of Christ, and we we ingest that. He doesn't, he's not re-sacrificed here. This is a moment of remembrance that points back. The symbols that take place here, the the blood, the cracker, the juice, the cracker, they point back to what had happened one time. We don't have to re-sacrifice Christ. We don't need to face it. He does not face that again. He was sacrificed once and for all and atoned for all of our sins. He took the bread. He gives thanks. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Then he says he's going to take the cup. And he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So Christ helps us with the symbolism here. He doesn't leave it up for debate. He doesn't leave it up for interpretation. He says very simply, this is going to represent that. He's going to say the bread, the cracker, when we ingest that, it is a reminder of what happened to Christ's body. It is a reminder of this was what he gave for us, that he was crushed, that he was bruised for our iniquities. When we, when we, when we take the juice, it is a reminder that this is the new covenant that was inaugurated through his blood, that it was began, this new covenant, the, the spirit coming, that we have this new relationship in Christ, that it is done. It doesn't become the blood. It is a reminder of what is being done through Jesus Christ's death, that he has begun this new covenant, that we have the opportunity to have this new relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful picture that points back. Do you have dinner rules? Do you, when, you, when it's time to come to the table, 
Do you have certain rules that your, your children had to do or have to do? Maybe they have to go wash their hands or they had to uh, sit in a certain place all the time or maybe the, a way that you expected them to act or you expect people to act culturally. And, you know, you expect people to say, please and thank you. Would you pass this? Would you do this? You know, not reaching over and not throwing stuff across. We have, we have those etiquette rules or those expectations when we come to, come to a dinner table. When we come to the table of the Lord, there are some expectations. There are some uh, rules. There are some dynamics. So as we come to this table today, there are some things that God says, hey, make sure you understand this. And make sure when you come to this table, you think about this. So, so what are some of those, those expectations, those dinner rules? When I come to the table, what, is, what does God say? When I come to the table, why am I coming here today? Number one, I'm coming to remember Christ's work. We've already seen it in Luke 22, that we do this in remembrance of me. First Corinthians 11, when Paul writes, and uh, we can actually make our way over there because we're going to be over there a little bit more this morning, the rest of the morning. First Corinthians chapter 11. What does he say? He says that you're going to do this in remembrance of me. When you drink the cup, remember me. This is not a time that we just come and just sort of let our minds drift. This is a special day. This is a time when we come and we remember what Jesus Christ has done. That we remember his work on the cross. Not only is it to remember the work on the cross, but it's also to remind ourselves of a coming kingdom. That this is not Christ's kingdom. Thank the Lord. This is not it. There is something else. Remember what he says when he, when he looks and he says in Luke 22, he says, For I say unto you, I will no longer eat of this until it's fulfilled in what? The kingdom of God. He says, it is coming. He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It's not here. It is coming. It is a reminder that, that there is something greater. This is the hors d'oeuvres for a greater feast. That we look forward to that day when we are in heaven. We sit around that marriage supper of the Lamb and we are just going to enjoy the beauty, the splendor, not only of the, the feast, but the one who is there with us. That this is not the end. So as we come here today, we remember what Christ did, but we look forward to that greater home, that greater time when we will be freed from all the pain and all the sorrow and all the struggles and all the, all the sickness and all the, the pandemics and everything else. But we can look forward to that time when we will be with our Savior. It is a celebratory time because there is something far greater coming for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. He says, what does he say in First uh, Corinthians 11? Down in verse 26. You see it there? That what we do, show the Lord's death until he comes. This is a beautiful remembrance. It is a beautiful picture of what Christ did. And we're going to continue to do it until Christ comes. He's coming again. We don't know when. That's true. But we know it's going to happen. And we know when he does, it is going to be a, a, a beautiful, glorious day for us who are saved, that we will enter into his presence, that we will be in heaven, and we will be with the one who so graciously gave us what we do not deserve. He gives that to us. Communion reminds us that Christ has established a kingdom, that he is coming again to claim his own, that his own will be part of that kingdom, that this kingdom is in the future. It is that beautiful picture pointing forward as well as pointing back. So as we come here today, as we prepare to go to the Lord's table, what do we remember? What do we think about? No wonder. When you start thinking about, it shows me what he did for me. 
And he shows me what the beautiful ramifications of that, where I'm going to get to go, what is going to happen, that his kingdom is coming. We look and we say, no wonder that the Lord's table is so precious to Christians. It's a, it's a memorial. It's a reminder of Christ's death for our sins and a reminder that he is going to come and take us home and that we will be with him one day for those who are saved. So as I come to the table this morning, what do I need to remember? I need to remember Christ's atoning sacrifice on the cross. Remember what he did for me. But I also want to remind myself that he's coming again. That it's going to be a glorious and wonderful day that I'm going to one day see my Savior's face. And so we look and we celebrate that. But when we come to the table as well, we need to know how, how do we come? How do we act? You know, we, we don't just come to our dinner table and just plop down. Well, maybe you do, I don't know. And you just do whatever. But there's usually some sort of decorum. You go, you go to a friend's house or you go to someone's house and you tell your kids, make sure you act the right way. You do this, 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 and this because you don't want to be embarrassed. You know, that's why we do it, right? We parent out of embarrassment. Don't do that. That's not good. Uh, but we tell them, hey, don't, don't do this, this, and this. When we come to the table, what does God say? I think first we are to respect the table. There is to be a reverence about it. It is not to be done. You're in 1 Corinthians 11 there. Let's look down in verse 27 and, and following. He says, For wherever, uh, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let, this, uh, let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Paul looks and says, there is, there is an inappropriate way to come to the table. The, the church at Corinth was practicing this. They were, they were segregating. They were dividing. They were having rich people. They were having poor people. They were keeping them apart. There was no unity in the body. They were looking and they were celebrating and engorging in the feast and forgetting the purposes of what the, the communion service was as they accompanied with that love feast. And they, they went through all that and they had the wrong perspective on what was happening. And Paul's looking and saying, you're coming at it with this flippant attitude. With this attitude of, eh, okay, you know, let's tack it on and let's not really focus and remember what, what this is all about. So what, is, what does this unworthy manner look like? Well, let's look at it a little bit from the perspective of how do we come worthily? What is the right way? The, the only Christians should partake of the Lord's Supper. This is a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. It's written to the church. He talks about that it is given to those who have received so it is written, it is given for believers. If, if you're not saved, this, this picture here is a beautiful picture for you of what Christ has done for you, but you must accept it. You must accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. For those of us who have, we partake of it. Only Christians who are in good fellowship with God, he tells you. He says, let a man examine himself. Let us take the time to go through and to see uh, before we eat of the bread, before we drink of the cup, for we do judge ourselves, then we should not be judged. He says down in verse 31, I believe it is, toward the end of the, the passage there. He says, take the time to examine, to prepare. Even as we, the, the days we know we have communion, that ought to be a preparation as we're coming to, saying, Lord, search my heart, know me, see if there be any wicked way in me. 
purge it out. Remove it from me so that as I enter into this, this holy time, this sacred time with you, I am reminded of, of what you've done. And I know that I'm coming in a worthy fashion. I know I'm coming righteous before you. He says that Christians must partake of the Lord's Supper reverently, not in that flippant way. You know, since communion is a service to remember Christ and primarily sacrificial death, when we come at it, we should not be flippant. We should not be silly about it. We should not be disrespectful. We should not be insensitive to our sins or to take him for granted or just eating because we're hungry or we just look at it and we're just like distracted and our mind is everywhere. I mean, even, even as we come, I'm going to be honest today, some of you are going to put that little, that cracker in your mouth and you're going to go, oh, oh. it does not taste like our normal communion crackers. It's even legitimate. We don't eat, take communion for how good the cracker or the juice tastes. We don't score it on a scale of one to 10. You know, oh, let's go try another brand because that one didn't taste. That's not the purpose. The purpose is the remembrance. The purpose is the, the reverence. The purpose is what we are doing here. We look and we say, when we come, instead, we're, we're just supposed to be quite, uh, quietly respectful. We're supposed to be serious and considerate, sensitive to our sins, reflective. We're to look and to say, I'm eating because I'm grateful of what Christ has done. I'm to be focused on what is happening. So as I come before the Lord today, I want to do it with reverence. I want to respect the table that I come before today. I look and I say, okay, I'm, I'm to do it. And then we do it with unity. We symbolize that. We eat of the cracker together. We come and we drink together. And Corinth was not good at that. In fact, Acts chapter 2 is much better when you see at the Acts, Acts 2 verses 42 through like 44 where, where the church at Jerusalem, they were having all things common. They were worshiping together. They were helping each other out. There was a unity in the body. This is to represent, if we have issues with one another, maybe we should consider not taking communion, but reconciling the issues. Looking and saying, let me take care of that because this symbolizes the unity of believers. And we take and we ingest together as a picture of us as a body of believers doing this together before the Lord. Is, is there potential to, to do this incorrectly? Absolutely. We read it already where it says, for if you eat, you drink unworthily, then what are we eating? We're eating damnation to ourselves, not discerning the body of the Lord. We have weakness. It says there is weakness, there's sickness, and some even sleep. There's even potential death that occurs because of that flippant, trivial, uh, nonchalant attitude, the disrespecting of the Lord's table. So as we come for communion today, let's respect the table that we go before. And then lastly, let's rejoice around the table. It is a respectful time, but it is a rejoicing time. You think about what has happened. He took the bread. What does Christ do? He gives thanks. It's called the Eucharist in, in the Greek. We use the term, you'll hear the term that this is the Eucharist. Or the, idea is, the idea is to give thanks. It is a joyous. We're thankful. We're, we're, we're grateful for what has happened. They Even at the end, they sing, they sing a song. They sing a hymn. And, and they're excited. They're, they're going out. But there's just some joy that occurs around the table. When we come into this table of God's grace... I am unworthy. When we think about that, someone who's unworthy, some people have said, I can never take communion because I am not worthy. You're absolutely right. None of us are worthy enough to truly be able to take. But it is because of what Christ has done in me, because of his sacrifice, through Christ, I am able to be worthy before God to partake, to be able to enter in because of the relationship that Christ provided, because of what he has done for me and for you. 
So I can come before him. I can come to this table today reverent because of what was necessary for me to be right with God. That ought to bring great somberness to us. To think that he had to be the sacrificial lamb to die, to have his blood shed because of my sinfulness. That ought to bring reverence, sobriety. And yet at the same time, there is a rejoicing in our hearts because of what has been accomplished in me through Christ. That he did change me. That he did take my sins, though they were scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That he took my wretchedness and he makes me beautiful before God. That he takes my clothes of, of filthiness and he puts on his robes of righteousness. There ought to be rejoicing. It ought to be a celebration. And so as we have that opportunity to sing today, as we have the opportunity to remember, to reflect, let's take those dynamics and let's celebrate communion together.